It's time for the big show with Andy Gallo and Country Jim. And our guest today is Steve Douglas, singer, songwriter, and uh, Steve uh, also uh, owned the uh, Magnolia Opry over in Magnolia, Texas for uh, many, many, many years. Steve, how you doing, buddy? Doing great. How y'all this morning? We are good, man. We are good. Is it well, now? You're up in where now? I'm up in a little town called Avenger, which is northeast Texas, just north, just north of Longview. Oh wow! Y'all went through some uh, pretty good storms. We just had about. We were without power for like three or four days. Oh, yeah. Wow, man. Well, we're really honored to have you on. Um, well, I, I feel honored to be here. Let's talk a little bit about where you grew up, you know, your mama and your daddy. and. Uh, well, and, I'm still trying to grow up, you know. <laughs> join, join the crowd there. Join the crowd. It, it hadn't been easy for me because I've been around a lot of grown-ups, and I didn't like them too much. So oh, yeah. I had yeah. a hard time trying to be like them, you know. <laughs> well, where did you grow up? What? Well, actually, my dad brought us here from Mississippi. I, I was uh, I was born over in Greenville, Mississippi, and my dad got a job with Brown and Root out of Houston, and that's what brought us to Texas. So uh, we can't we followed wherever Dad wherever Brown and Root took Dad. That's where we went. Root and Scoot. So we were most, mostly around Pasadena and the Houston area in my early teen years, and that's when I started a garage band, uh, like a bunch of other musicians around the right. Houston area, and. Yeah. We had the cops called on us two or three times because, you know, now, we had to had to play it loud so everybody could hear it. Yeah. Hey, now when you first started out, uh, was it a country band or was it a rock band or? Actually, actually, you know, it was kind of the era when the Beatles came out and and uh, we were all in high school and none of us could really play anything and we all sat around and uh, one guy said, "Well, I'll play guitar. I'll play this." So all that was left when it came to me was the drums. So I, I went home and told my daddy I need a set of drums. Hmm. He said, "Well, can you play?" I said, "Not yet, but you know I can <laughs> learn." That's where all that, all that went. You know, and being a construction worker, four hundred dollars for a set of drums was a pretty good chunk back then. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Did uh, we, did uh, you have any musicians when you started putting a band together? Uh, that there'd be any name recognition, anybody we would have ever heard of? or Well, you know, back in those days, uh, there was a band out of Houston that we actually won the Battle of the Bands in Strawberry Park Pavilion in Pasadena back in 1965. Wow. And the, the band went on to be known as the Sound Investment, which they had some pretty good hits and did have some hits on uh, Laurie Records and stuff like that and we were all friends in high school and that's kind of where i got started wow. uh but the guy's name uh mike blackie and kurt list and gary ingram was a fantastic drummer he played all over houston mm. but uh those guys were those guys were pretty good musicians yeah. yeah we've had a lot of people on that played the the houston clubs uh, yeah. In fact, we had one guy on that just talked about all the different uh, night spots and the, yeah. the live music. Uh, did you go? Th did you do that for a while? Yeah, we did. We played uh, the teen halls, you know, Taylor Hall in Pasadena, and a bunch of different ones around the Houston area back then. 
but a lot of our play would just would go to some of these strip uh, strip malls, you know, back in the day. And for to promote their stores, they would pull a flatbed trader out in the middle of the parking lot. We'd get up there and play on Saturday morning, you know. I've wow. done I've done that I've done that a lot. I've done <laughs> that uh, I've done that in Magnolia actually. Yeah, at, uh, that little independent um, little independent grocery store. Yeah, Amato. Uh, yes, that's exactly right. No, no longer there though. I work for that guy. No, by the way. yeah, <laughs> I, I bet it's all. Ch- I I couldn't even recognize it last time no. I drove through there. It's it's a it's a, a thriving metropolis over there in Magnolia now. I'm telling you, it is. And when I when I went out there to start that Opry out in the middle of Magnolia, everybody thought I was crazy, which I was. But you know, uh, hey, it worked out. Just, if you believe in something. Uh, strong enough, you can make it happen with the help of a bunch of friends, and yeah. I had a bunch of friends that helped. Yeah. yeah. Hey, now that building, did you did you build that building, or was it already in existence? Or? It was already there. It had been a teen dance hall that uh, uh, a family by the name of the Joneses owned, but they were coming to the Opry. I actually started the Opry on Telgi Road in Tomball in 1986. And they were the first couple to come, and they owned that building. They'd sit in the front row, and uh, they come up, approached me one night, and said, "Look, we got this building that's been sitting here doing nothing for years in Magnolia. Why don't you move the Opry there, and we'll just sell it to you?" You know. And I said, "Well, I don't have any money to buy a building." He said, "No, I'll finance it." So that's how that's how we moved to Magnolia. Wow, that's pretty good. Now, how long did the Opry run over there? Or how long did you we have start, it, We say? started in 86, and uh, I, I'm not sure when the last show was. I think it was in 94, 95, somewhere in there. How how he, you know, kept up with that more than I did, I think. Yeah, I believe that's what he said it was. I was talking yeah. to Howie this morning. Uh, yeah. And then they tried to resurrect it. Uh, yes. Th- they tried to move it to um, – uh, the uh, recreation area there on 105 in Conroe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget what that was called, but yeah, they moved. They moved it, I and I that, think yeah. when they, yeah. when you get to moving it around like that, it just kind of loses something, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what was your reasoning for starting the opera? Well, here's the whole deal. I'd I'd played nightclubs in Austin and Houston and all over Texas, and uh, I just, you know, I guess I was just looking for something different. And Larry Scott, you know Larry Scott from KWKH in Shreveport. He took me to the Johnny High show. I was playing a club up in Fort Worth in the stockyards. And he took me to this show called the Johnny High Country Music Review. Yeah. And and uh, it was in the Will Rogers Auditorium mm-hmm. right. in uh, Fort Worth. And I went up there, and he got me on the show. And when I saw that show... Boy, the light bulb just went off, and I said, "I got to get back to Houston. I I got to start one of these. This what year, is what I want to do." What year was that, Steve? That you did the job? That was probably eighty four. That was probably eighty four, nineteen eighty four, eighty five. Yeah. Well, you know, I because uh, I I had worked up at a radio station in Cleburne, Texas. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, we did a we did a little show up there in Cleburne at one time. Yep. I'm thinking. I, a, I, I was thinking you had maybe came through around '82, but maybe maybe not then. Maybe it was later then. It, it, it may have been. It was somewhere in there because yeah. I was. I had left Austin. A friend of mine was uh, managing a club in the stockyards, and he hired us to be the house band there, and we played 
played at a place called the Picking Parlor, okay. which is no longer there, but it was just down from the White Elephant. Right. I, and, lived, uh, in, I lived in Fort Worth from 79 to 80, 83, I think. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I've played uh, up, uh, up in the stockyards. Did you ever play at a club called Pearl's? No, I never did play there. We do, we were just uh, strictly there at the place called a picking parlor. Oh, okay, gotcha. And I had uh, on steel. I had Jody McCauley playing steel, which you know he worked with Lynn Anderson, oh. and he was on the original Grand Ole Opry back in the day. Mm. That's awesome. Man. Yeah. Did you have a steel guitar at the Magnolia Opry? I can't remember hearing one. Yes, Buddy Doyle, a guy by the name of Buddy Doyle played steel with us. We had a couple of Mikey Phillips. Yeah, oh, yes, Buddy I know Doyle him. Played. I know yeah. him well. He's played with me. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we had a couple of good steel players there. Mikey still lives here in Conroe, Texas. Yeah, I, I keep up with him on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Well, that is great. I tell you, uh, the Opry, though, I, I think it, 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 and it's one thing that it, it just kind of helps out a lot of young people that are trying to get started. Well, and that's know? the whole idea behind these Opry's. You know, a friend of mine came up from Alvin and saw saw what we were doing up there, so he went down and started the Alvin Opry. Okay. Gene, Gene Hopper. Mm-hmm. And, then, uh, and then they, of course, started the hometown Opry over in uh, uh, Pasadena. Right. Mm-hmm. I've played the and Alvin Opry a lot of times. Uh, yeah. Actually, we had uh, the guy that, that runs it now on Alvin Opry, right? Was was that? Uh, yeah, Tommy Reed. Tommy Reed. Yeah. Yeah. We had him yeah. on the show. Sure did. Yeah. Uh-huh. But so. that's what it does. It helps a lot of artists that wouldn't wouldn't normally get the kind of exposure that, uh, you know, a crowd like that can give you. Mm-hmm. And that's that's mm-hmm. what it was really all about. Hey, Steve, one time when I was at the Magnolia Opry, uh, Smokey Stover was a guest artist. Absolutely. Smokey was a big part of our show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. on there quite a bit, right? Yeah. Yes, he was. He lived there in the area. And so, you know, anytime he was available, he, we'd uh, certainly invite him to be on the show. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was the big hit that he wrote for George Jones? Oh, man. I, I really can't. I can't remember the name of it, but yeah, he he wrote one that George did. Yeah, yeah. it's unfair when an old man asks another old man a, a, yeah, a question. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I have to. You're asking me to. You're asking me digging way back in the way back machine, and the way back machine's kind of you know getting foggy. You know. Well, the way I try to put a positive spin on it, I said, "Man, my forgetter's working great." There you go. Yeah. I think we do that a lot on the show, though, don't yeah, we? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we yeah. bounce stuff back and forth there. Well, this is great stuff, man. Yeah. I, I, you know, Steve, you know, just uh, we, we, we just kind of want to talk. I've got a, actually, I've got a couple of songs lined up that, that we want to play. Uh, one of them that you wrote for sure, and you maybe you can fill me in on This Is True. Did you write that one as well? No, actually, a good friend of mine by the name of Mel McGill. Okay. His brother, his brother on Don McGill Toyota. Oh, okay. And Mel, okay. Mel and Mel and Liz used to come out and see us play when I was working. A, I was working several clubs in the 1960 area, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. Mel and Mel and his wife Liz would show up, and uh, he'd sit there. He has a little cowboy hat on, <laughs> and I he liked to get up and sing Six Pack to Go. Oh wow! So would get him up to sing six pack to go. Wow. That's and, cool. uh, he asked, he asked me one night, he said, how would you like to make a record? 
I said, I'd love to make a record, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so he had a song and we went in and recorded it and, uh, it wasn't, this is true. It was another one that he had written before. This is true. Right. Right. And this was and before uh, a dark lighted bar room that I guess, right. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. Because dark lighted bar, we put, we put the song he had, if you hurt me one more time on the A side. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And we didn't, yeah. we didn't have a B side. So I said, well, I had already cut this song in Nashville a few years back. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, we can just put it on the B side if you want to. So it, we went out, pressed the record, put Dark Light Barham on the B side. And it wound up being the A side. That's what and everybody I played. It, yeah. I took it to Bruce Nelson. I took it to Bruce Nelson. Yeah. And uh, me and Mel went up there and uh, we sat down and Bruce played the A side. If you hurt me one more time, he said, man, he said, I'm sorry, but I can't play that. He said, what you got on the B side? And he flipped it over and those fiddles kicked off. Mm-hmm. And he said, there, he said, there's your hit right there. Yep. yep. And, I, and I think he had it playing and then he called Joe Ladd and they got to playing it. Yeah. Next thing I know, you couldn't turn the radio on or walk in the mm-hmm. bar without, without hearing that song. That was a big, uh, that was a big song. And, and we talked about it before we went on here that did actually never hit the billboard charts, which no, it uh, never did. Never did make the billboard charts, but man, it was playing it was, everywhere. Oh, it was hot. I mean, uh, yeah. I remember the little radio station that I was at, we, that was in a hot rotation, man. I mean, we played the Dickens out of it, you know? Well, so, it uh, filled a dance. What happened is when it kicked off with that four, four, it just filled a dance floor, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's back when country music was country music, you know, you had the fiddles, you had steel guitar for the most part. Right. Or you Absolutely. had a, or you had a good little uh, piano pounder there, kind of thing, you know, going Absolutely. on, you know. So yeah. uh, either way, yeah, there was good there. Well, uh, t- let's talk about now. You wrote that song, "Dark Lighted Bar Room." Let's talk about yeah, that I just wrote a little that. bit. I was, I was playing a bar in Austin, Texas, and uh, it was after I guess we'd finished playing, and I just sat at the bar, and I, they always had a stack of napkins on the bar back then. And I, I just always carried a pen with me. And uh, I just got to look around the bar and I just took a napkin and started writing down what I was seeing, you know. Wow. Dark, dark lighted barrooms, lonely women, slits on tap back then was number one. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I just wrote, I wrote what I was seeing and, yeah. and uh, we took it and recorded it. Yeah. Well, hey, you know what? Let's play it. We're going to play it. Okay. For the folks. Here we go.
Man, what a great song. That's great. I, I love that. That is good stuff there. That that kept me working for about 20, 25 years. Mm. Yeah. 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 That, I mean, that is just such a great, that is what I call a great country song. Well, it's a, it was a honky-tonk song for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. It's sure. got every, it, it's got everything you need in it. Well, <laughs> and a little bit more. Yeah, all all I go by is if the people get up out of their chairs and start dancing, that's that that's a good yeah. sign. But yeah. it paint it really does paint a picture. I mean the, I mean frankly, uh, the struggles that people have in a lot of times in relationships. I mean the right. the the in the hook there ring in the, my pocket. I mean that's mm-hmm. oh yeah that's graphic. Just waiting for that lucky girl. Right. Yeah. <laughs> not, not necessarily that that was any personal experiences. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. I just I just wrote what I noticed. You know. Mm-hmm. Right. What was going on in, around you there? That's right. Good. That is good. Now, have you written anything else, or or was that the, the big? You know, one? You know, I haven't uh, recorded anything else in a while, but uh, I still get ideas. I was sitting down watching some documentaries the other day, and some guy came across with a line, so I, I keep my pen and pencil handy. Oh, yeah. And I went up, went over there and wrote that down, so I'm hoping I can finish a couple of those ideas and yeah. keep, get something else out there, you know. Cool. That would be good. How long has yeah. it been since you've uh, actually did a live performance? I know you, you we talked about that uh, earlier. Actually, I don't know if you know a singer around Magnolia, Cliff Hanning. Hmm. Nope. Don't think we do. No. Cliff, Cliff used to sing on the Opry. Well, he put out a CD and actually re-released Dark Lighted Barrows. Oh, okay. So, so he asked me to come over uh, to Navasota. There's a little club out over there. Mm-hmm. And that's the last time I went over and got up and sang. Right. Uh, Cliff had me come get up on stage and sing it with him. So it wasn't it wasn't a Western club, was it? Uh, it wasn't a Western club. There was another one out there uh, okay. off the beaten path. Now you also did another song called "This Is True," and we touched on it just briefly. Uh, right? Who, who wrote that? Yeah, Mel Mel McGill, the guy who was uh, helping me at that time get the records out. Uh, he wrote a song called "This Is True" for his wife Liz, and. Uh, me and me and a guy named Charlie Booth got on the road and started promoting it, and we went uh, all the way up to uh, Shreveport. We used to go up and be on Larry Scott's show at night, mm-hmm. midnight show. Yeah, and Larry Scott played that song and fell in love with it. He called right there while we were in the studio. He called enough people to get on it that uh, by the time we got back to Houston, it was on the Billboard chart. Yeah, and started climbing. Yeah. Wow. And uh, it got a, I, I think it got up in the sixties. I looked it up this morning, number sixty-seven. Yeah, that, so that that one helped us a lot. Oh yeah. yeah. Would you say that maybe the most requested song though is still "Dark Lighted Barroom"? Absolutely, yeah. it is. And when when yeah. uh, when you talk when you start talking to people that remember that song back then, mm-hmm. that that's the one that comes up more than anything. Right. Yeah. I know that was the one I was thinking of. You know, I'm yeah. thinking. I remember Dark Lighted Ballroom, and of course, then yeah. after I started doing more research, I found that I remembered this is true as well. It just had to, yeah. I just had to think about it just a little bit because, oh yeah, uh, yeah. we, you know, we played, we played all of your stuff, you know, at, uh, back yeah. in those days, you know, and um, of course, you know, it, it, as I remembered in, in growing up and around the Houston area, as I did, there were just so many artists out there 
that uh, that were just and and yeah. thanks to, and thanks to guys like y'all, uh, the local artists were able to get some airplay, mm-hmm. and that's what, mm-hmm. that helped everybody. You know. Now, but, uh, I also had seen that you recorded at Soundmasters, which I think yeah. everybody that was anybody recorded at Soundmasters. Yeah, and, we did. We did most of an album, the Dark Light at Barnes album. We did most of the album there at Soundmaster. Well, we had AV on the show. We've had him on here twice, actually. Yeah, yeah. He's he's just recovering now from his uh, mm-hmm. uh, yep. open I, heart I, surgery. Yeah, I talked to him a couple of days ago, and he's still really in need of prayers. He's he's oh, still absolutely. he's still not able to walk. Oh yeah, we've been we've been praying for him. Real heavy, yeah. Yeah, that was the place to. I guess back in the back in the day, that was the place to go to record. Uh, in the yeah, that was where a lot of a lot of people were going there. In fact, uh, I think Mark Chestnut cut a couple of songs out of there. Kenny Dale, mm-hmm. Randy Corners, you know, George all Strait. the all the George yeah. Strait, a lot of the local guys mm-hmm. and some of the uh, national guys. Right. Yeah. yeah. A A V had a good ear. He he could hear it. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah the, he was the best. Uh, he was. When you started Magnolia Opry, Rick Carney was your bass player. Um, yeah, Rick. Actually, Rick was on the road with me before the Opry, and uh, he he was a, he was from Hearn, Texas, and uh, he he traveled around with me. He was my bass player, and uh, pretty much led the led the group for me. And then when we started the Opry, I made him. We we auditioned a lot of people when we first started. And uh, Rick would run those auditions for me and, uh, you know, played the bass on the show. In fact, Howie, Howie has that bass guitar now that, that Rick left behind. Yes. You know, Rick, and, Rick and his girlfriend were tragically killed in a car wreck uh, mm. on April 19th of 86, right after we started the Opry. Wow. Mm. So, you know, that was a big loss for me because that was my right-hand man. We've talked yeah. about doing a um, podcast about artists that have been that we've lost in plane crashes and, and yeah. automobile accidents. Yeah. yeah, so many we've lost that way. Absolutely, and a lot of them up here in Northeast Texas for sure. You played Gillies back in the day, which that I guess that was you kind of pinch yourself a little bit when you think about that today. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, in fact. Uh, we had even toyed with the idea of starting another Gillies. Uh, you know, of course, that'd be a big undertaking. But right. I met with Gilly before he passed at his home mm-hmm. and uh, met with him and talked about it. He was all for it and behind it. Mm-hmm. But uh, it just never materialized, you know. Plus, you played uh, Billy Bob's Texas. Well, it had the live bulls, so, mm-hmm. you know. It did. <laughs> yep, it did. Yeah. I remember going to Billy Bob's to see Johnny Lee one time. Wow. And yeah. uh, you're talking about a guy that would put on a show. Oh, yeah. I think he came back for three encores. I mean, they just oh, wouldn't, yeah. they wouldn't let him go. You know, he just right. he kept coming back, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. We like to sometimes just get some funny road stories that, uh, do you remember anything offhand that was? Ab- absolutely. Uh, we were, we were playing, uh, we always played a regular gig at the captain's table down in Victoria, Texas. And, uh, me and me and my piano player were driving the, we had a big box van. We were driving it back after the gig back to Houston and, uh, between Victoria and Houston, it broke down and this is the middle of the night. 
probably three or four o'clock in the morning. Mm. And, uh, we, you know, we're out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's just pitch dark. And so we're trying to get a, trying to get somebody to give us a lift to somewhere so we can get this truck taken care of. Mm -hmm. And my piano player, his name was Jason price, little redheaded piano player. And, uh, he, he had bought as a gag, we had bought this fireman's helmet and you turn on the a button and the little red light comes on that fireman's helmet. <laughs> We're standing out there on the side of the road, couldn't get nobody to stop. So he turns on that fireman's helmet, first car pulls over. <laughs> first car pulled over. We get up to the window and we said, sir, we need a ride. He said, get in, get in. He thought he'd been pulled over by the cops or something. <laughs> That's so he took he took us up the next little station and we got a ride from there into right. Houston. That is now that is funny. But I, we we still laugh about that today. He, all he had to do is turn on that red light and that first car pulled over. <laughs> Where does he live now? He's out in West Texas now. He's taking care of his dad. His dad's like ninety three, ninety four years old. And he lives out in Fort Stockton, out in that area. Well, Steve, I'm going to go ahead and play This Is True. Well, let's, let me send that out to uh, Liz, Liz McGill. It's who it was written for. She still lives in Belleville, Texas. Good deal. Believe me, my darling, this is true. When I say I love you I've stayed around for so long No reason I just wanted to This is true When I say you're mine this is true, you are my life, this is true, when I tell you, I can't live without you, believe me my darling, I I think of losing you I wonder, I wonder what I'd do You know, I was born to be a slave to you And without you, well, I don't know what I'd do this is true when I say you're mine. This is true. You are my life. This is true when I tell you I can't live without you. Believe me. 
Well, that's Steve Douglas, and this is true. And uh, now, Steve, the guy that wrote that, McGill, tell us a yeah. little bit about that. Yeah, Melvin, Melvin, we call him the sit down singing cowboy, is what we used to call him, because he always got up and sat down on stage to sing, uh, <laughs> you know, whenever he did. I guess it made and him more wrote, comfortable, wrote, huh? Yeah, he wrote that song for uh, for his wife Liz. We call her poor old Liz, and she she's uh, she's still out in Belleville. We lost Mel a few years ago, but uh, he was he was a good friend of mine and helped me quite a bit around the Houston area. This is true. Where was that recorded at? Now that was recorded at Soundmaster Studio in Houston with Av Middlestead. Now you had some other things kind of happened in your career that were a real boost. Uh, talk about that a little bit and the, the trip to yeah, Nashville. In the early in the early nineties, I I got contacted by a businessman out of Conroe. His name was J.D. Lawrence, and he had written some songs and he wanted somebody to sing them and record them. So we I met up hooked up with him and we started a little company and and uh, you know we just went to Nashville and I introduced to May Axton through uh, Larry Scott's help. Mm-hmm. And May Axton, most people know, she wrote Heartbreak Hotel for Elvis. Mm-hmm. And uh, May uh, got us in the studio with a producer, Jerry Kennedy, who sure. uh, produced produced a lot of big acts. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went and did an album with him. And May had a song on there called Every Night It Hurts a Little Less. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, she got it. We did a video on it in a Washteria laundromat in Nashville, and uh, that got played a lot on CNT and TNN. That got me a lot of exposure, mm-hmm. and uh, that that was a great time because I got to meet Hoyt Axton as well. Wow! And it's pretty good to be able to sit down next to Hoyt Axton and mm-hmm. hear some of his stories too. Mm-hmm. And of course, we've lost both of them since then. But oh, yeah. that was my last uh, last little deal in the music business was with them. You know, maybe, uh, Steve, for just a minute, um, if you want to talk about it, we might get just a little philosophical about the nature of classic country music. Both of those cuts that we played are really great, strong 4-4 shuffles. Um, I, I did a I did a project with uh, Heart of Texas Records called Shuffles and Waltzes, and right. there were about four waltzes on there, and every one of the others were, were shuffles. Uh, right. Drop Watson is a close friend of mine, Gene's first cousin, yeah. and he played played bass with me some, and um, he talked about the fact that Gene really, I mean, I mean, when you talk about country music, there's me, you, and Gene Watson, but. Yeah, Gene rarely ever recorded on his projects a shuffle. He uh, drops it that he really didn't like shuffles all that well. Uh, Waylon Jennings, you can put him in classic country, but Waylon Jennings didn't really play shuffles. Right. Uh, As far as your musical taste, you want to talk about that any? Well, I just... Uh, being a drummer, I mean, and I've like I say, I play for people who like to get out on the dance floor and dance. Yeah. So I've always basically leaned toward the shuffle four four Texas shuffle they call it. Yeah. And when I took Dark Lighted Barrooms to the studio in Nashville, those guys knew what I was doing. They had an upright bass, and uh, you know, they they knew a Texas shuffle. And when they kicked that off with the fiddles, you could hear the fiddle breathe. 
before it started playing on the record, if you listen close. <laughs> and, you know. Do you remember any of those players? Was it like Bob Moore on the bass? or? Uh... Yeah, it was uh, Bunky Kills played the keyboard. Uh, I, I can't remember the uh, uh, fiddle player. Now, I've got it all on my album somewhere, yeah. the Dark Light Barroom album. Yeah. And uh, Elvis's drummer played drums on it. And uh, we became pretty good friends. And uh, Anyway, it, yeah, we had all the session pickers that everybody was using back then. Yeah, that's great. You know? Folks, you can listen to The Big Show on all major podcasting platforms, such as Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and so many more. And just remember, you can support the podcast by following us and hitting the link below. Don't forget to share it with everybody that you know. Well, Steve, it has sure been a pleasure having you on The, the Big well, Show Well, I, I appreciate you. I hope we got a little laugh and a little bit of entertainment out of it. Oh, yeah. I did. We do, and for we'll, sure. We'll, we'll see y'all when I get down that area. Somewhere. And then please let us know, man. Yeah, I like I like to go to the Red Brick Tavern once in a while and see Howie when he's there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 And eat, eat eat that hamburger that they got there. That is oh yeah probably one of the better burgers in Conroe. I do believe. You bet. Well, I love the greens and the uh, cornbread and all that. Yes, too. that's right. Oh, I, yeah. I play there. I play there every Sunday. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I've I've been watching y'all. So well, y'all take care and thank you so much for uh, giving me your time. Well, thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. All right. All righty. See y'all. Thanks for listening to The Big Show with Andy Gallo and Country Jim. This has been a Unicab Media presentation.